and at the same time, you know, I have immigrant parents. And so that word lazy, I heard that a lot, like, don't be lazy, don't be lazy. And at the same time, I appreciate naming rest because like, well, when do I rest? Isn't there, shouldn't there be space for that too? And why do I feel so guilty for taking space to rest? You know, so I really resonate with, with that a lot. My name is Ashanti and welcome to the Taking Off the Mask podcast, where men get real. Men of all ages and backgrounds come to this space to own and discuss the masks that we wear. In this work, the mask is represented by the front of the mask, the things that we gladly let the world see, and the back of the mask, the things that we don't usually let people see. Maybe you can ask yourself right now, what mask have I been wearing? What are the things that I'm talking a lot about? I'm sharing a lot with people. I'm glad to let people see about me. And what are the things that I'm not letting people see too much of? Sharing his mask today is Dr. Saeed Hill. Dr. Saeed is a counseling psychologist. He is a assistant director of the Prevention and Masculine Engagement at the Center for Awareness, Response, and Education at Northwestern University. In fall of 2022, Saeed was tapped to advise the Biden-Harris administration's White House Gender Policy Council on how to best engage men in violence prevention. Listen, I think that what we see in our world and we see here is that we all have a role to play. And since a lot of the violence that is perpetuated is happening by men, we need to engage men in these conversations. All men are not doing it. Men should be a part of these conversations to understand why it's happening. Why are we not doing the work that we need to do to navigate our emotions in a healthy way? Because otherwise we are just waiting for the landmine to be stepped on and for them to explode. I think it's part of the work that we talk about with the masks. This work that we're talking about around these masks is about giving men space to take off these masks and not have to wear them all the time to find the safe places and the safe people that we can communicate with them about. He's doing that work with college students. When we discussed the idea of him being a professor, uh, one of the things that he described was that when he has a chance, he tries and goes beyond the surface. It would be amazing to have a professor to go deeper than just what grade you got on the last test. He has a question that he likes to ask when people are willing. He says, how is your heart today? I mean, that it's kind of a variation of how you're doing. But when you ask somebody how you're doing, normally the form answer comes back, good, fine, cool, okay, for the most part. And we know that some people are willing to go more deep. But his willingness to ask a deeper question, how is your heart today, actually would probably cause people to stop and be like, oh, wait, what do, how do I even answer that question? <laughs> how is my heart today? I mean, thank goodness I can tell that it's still beating, but how is the other part of my heart? How, how am I feeling for real? And I think that's so beautiful to begin thinking and rethinking how we ask that question that oftentimes gets a form answer and we keep it moving to the, our own directions. We hope you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Saeed Hill. I really enjoyed having this conversation with him. I enjoyed these conversations with men from all over. But as we talk about men in communities that have a high need, like Northwestern in Chicago, we have opportunities to do something in our communities to make it better. We have opportunities to have deeper conversations and to engage younger people in these conversations as well. So if you know somebody who needs to hear this conversation, please share it with them. If you are inspired by what you hear today, please give us a review on Apple or Spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And we look forward to you being a part of this movement with us. Dr. Hill and I, we shed our mask here publicly, but you can do yours anonymously at millionmask.org. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We'll see you soon, folks. Bye now. Saeed Hill, welcome to the Taking Off the Mask podcast. I'm really glad to have you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here with you today, Shanti. I appreciate the opportunity. I've been looking forward to this conversation, so happy to be here. Me too, man. Leo, will you let folks know what you want them to know about you uh, before we jump into these masks? I'm super. We, I was telling you that we should have probably clicked the record maybe five minutes ago because we had a really good kind of connecting call. But um, thank you for this, and I'm looking forward to checking in. Let, let folks know what 
what's important for them to know about you as we jump into these masks? Absolutely. So I'm Saeed Hill. So um, I'm actually a counseling psychologist over in Chicago. So I work at Northwestern University in their Center for Awareness, Response and Education. So over there, I'm one of the assistant directors in charge of um, producing and developing violence prevention initiatives to support our students who have been impacted by various forms of violence, but with a specialization in promoting healthy masculinity as a means of prevention. So there I supervise a masculinity-based student group that does anti-violence work. I also do a lot of I teach a curriculum, a course there at Northwestern on deconstructing masculinity as a means of prevention. And I do a lot of consulting work, helping other institutions with their education around things like consent, uh, male and masculine survivorship, talking about gender-based dynamics in a workplace, for example. Um, I do a lot of retreats, things like that. So I'm just very passionate about honestly helping people really examine masculinity regardless of gender identity and how that impacts relationships how that impacts us in society how that impacts policy you know i'm just really passionate about this but i think more than anything i do this work because i just want people to feel more free and i think like for a long time i haven't always felt very free day to day and i like feeling free and i want other people to feel free too and so i think I love the opportunity to be here talking to you about taking the mask off because I think that's part of freedom right there. Mm, thank you for that word, freedom. You know, um, with this world we live in now, where you know we're we we still distance wise we're far, but we can we, we can collapse distance. I saw you, I think, on LinkedIn uh, on one of your talks, and I was like inspired, and I was like, well, let me let me just try. You know, I think some of the, well, part of the work in this these conversations have been. I hear someone say something that really resonates and I say, well, hey, I'll try and reach out and I'm glad we got to make this happen. I, I appreciate you for you know responding because I think in this work, I think oftentimes it's easy for, for me to often be like, well, that person may be too busy. You know, you got a LinkedIn profile, sure. they got all this stuff. <laughs> and you're like, I'm not going to bother them. They're right. not going to. And I think I've just tried to just get a little bit more courageous. You know, I think fear is one of these things that I, I wish I was fearless, you know, but I'm, I'm really not. and um, I think I just, I take on the stance of if I could just, and I think that's going to come up as we talk about these masks. It's definitely one of my, my things that I don't talk much about, but I thank you for being here. And as, as, as the guest, you get to decide who goes first. So first of all, thanks for being here. And as a guest, you decide you want to go first with the mask or you want me to go first with the mask. Yeah. Um, whatever you choose is, uh, is, is where we go. Yeah. I've been thinking about it. I would love to hear from you. Like, I'd love to, to have you go first before I go in there, if that's all right with you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, today, you know, um, we, we talked before the, um, the show, I drew with my, uh, my multicolor crayon pen here, which, uh, <laughs> uh, which I got in, uh, in Evanston um, recently. And, uh, and I don't know what I was drawing today, but I'll tell you, I'll show you the mask. So here's, here's what came up today. This is the image that that showed up today. That's the ma <laughs> That's the mask. I like that. And uh, and the words today are serious, caring, and workaholic. I normally I normally put hard worker on the front, and I, the reason I put this word here on the front is because I think that I have defaulted towards letting people see that I work all, like all the time, and I think that I have the counter balance of my life where if i'm not really working hard i feel like people think i'm lazy yeah so so it's important in my mind that i'm always like doing stuff like and i actually enjoy rest but i but i, I my, like my body enjoys rest like this week we got a big event this saturday like i am like we've had some team dynamics we had people leave and come and leave and i mean it's just been madness and I'm like, I'm just nonstop. Like, like I need more help. But on the front of the mask, I think it's easier for me to show those things than to show I'm struggling. <laughs> the reason I'm being a workaholic right now is not because I just love working hard right now. It's because I have nobody else right now that I could like hand a lot of these things off to. But as long as I leave it in the idea of working hard, then you feel the dopamine hit some way from that too, right? Yeah. Oh, he's such a hard worker. But in behind the scenes, when it's three in the morning, like I was up this morning, 
trying to send out this last email. This is three, not three in the morning. I woke up early. Three in the morning, I hadn't gone to sleep yet, right? That's that three in the morning. And I was like, this is not going to be sustainable. And I really, and I think it's just, so anyway, that's the front. I'll stay at the front, but that's what I gladly let people see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really value that. And I appreciate you naming that. Um, especially, you know, some of those words that feel so loaded to me, like words like lazy, but even the word rest feels very loaded for me, um, as well, you know, and I appreciate you getting into this idea of wanting to be perceived a certain way, um, and not wanting to be perceived as, as lazy, and that's such a loaded word. I think that's been a loaded word a lot in my family amongst a lot of like men and women of color in my family, um, that lazy moniker and, and that having implications for how people perceive you um, and trying to dodge those <laughs> sort of um, descriptors, right? And at the same time, you know, I have immigrant parents. And so that word lazy, I heard that a lot, like, don't be lazy, don't be lazy. And at the same time, I appreciate naming rest because like, well, when do I rest? Isn't there, shouldn't there be space for that too? And why do I feel so guilty for taking space to rest? You know, so I really resonate with, with that a lot. Mm. I was at a, a museum the other day, which almost felt like I, like I almost didn't even go. There's a exhibit, Kehinde Wiley, mm. um, and it's called the archeology span of silence. Mm. And it's these bodies in this museum where like it, one of the, I was listening to the audio recording of of the show, but you're like, the bodies almost look like they're not alive or are they resting? And I think that when you look at the body, you look at these images, huge images, you're like, wow, how beautiful they are, but also are they alive or not? Right. And I think there, there's been a time in my own life, in my mind that my mom hated me sitting around doing nothing. Yeah. Like, my mom, my mom had was allergic to people being lazy. So <laughs> everything, anytime you were not working, mm-hmm. it was because you're being lazy, right? Yeah. And so it was almost this moment of like every moment you're like, okay, I just I just finished cleaning for two hours and I finally laid on the floor mm-hmm. and just was like, uh, and then she's like, get it, what are you doing? You're supposed to be cleaning. And I'm like, I, I literally just stopped for 30 <laughs> seconds. You caught How? me in that 30 second window. Like you should have seen me. Exactly. I've had that conversation a lot too. <laughs> Oh my God. And you just like, like you look at my fingers. The fingers are all wrinkled. Can't you tell I've been like in water for the last two hours? Like, yeah. Um, but yeah. But then just like that moment of like, and I think it's a recording. It's an old recording that I still carry, even as an adult. And I don't, she can't tell me nothing now. She, I mean, she can because I mean, I mean, she's still, you know, still out of respect, right? But the idea is that, but I, I still hear her voice in my mind sometimes, you know, that, um, but anyway, that's the front. And so, yeah. Now you can go first. Would you like to go to your mask, your front? Sure, sure. Yeah, I can. And then I'll, and then I'll go to the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could do the front here. All right, here we go. So that's um, that's my mask right there. So that's supposed to be me. You know, I gave myself that curly black hair. Um, my beard lineup is a lot crispier and cleaner than this, um, but I attempted there with that beard. Um, but. Yeah. Um, and I, I wanted to use a little pop of orange because that is my favorite color. So I wanted to get that color in there. I didn't want to be so, you know, black and white and darker colors there. But so my um, the words that I wrote here were um, funny, reflective, and also the word curious. So those were three words that I felt were really resonating with me today um, about what I what I let people see. I think before we, we recorded, we were talking a little bit about upbringing and, and where we're from and. I was uh, reflecting on, I'm from a lot of different places. You know, I was, I was born in India, but I was adopted by a family in New York City. And then uh, I was around a lot of people who looked like me in New York City, Queens. You know, uh, my, my, my family's Indo-Caribbean. We're a Guyanese family. Um, you know, my father is an Indo and Afro-Guyanese man. You know, my family are, are Indo-Guyanese people uh, for the most part. And um, my parents got transferred, my dad in particular, his job, he got transferred when I was a child to the suburbs of Atlanta, where we then were quickly, I was one of only in school, for example. Not many people looking like me, a lot of people wondering who I was, where I was from. I just didn't look like anybody else um, from that area. Um, just very predom- just predominantly white. And I think the funny thing was something that I kind of discovered early for myself where it kind of helped me disarm a little bit the curiosities about myself, the ways that I sort of stood out 
um, in a lot of places and spaces. It was sort of like, you know, the funny guy, he's helpful. You know, we want to get to know the funny guy. And so being funny kind of became a connector for me. It became something that felt natural for me. I like people laughing. I like people smiling, but it helped me feel safer as well. And so it's something that was sort of adaptable for me, I feel like early on in my life that I really do value about myself now because I love laughing and I love helping other people laugh and enlightening the mood. You know, I've heard you talk about that before on this podcast, you know, that disarming, lightening the, lightening the mood a little bit. And I know you tied it at times to your physical appearance, you know, being a bigger man. And um, for me, you can't see me, but like you, you haven't met me in person, but I'm an extremely short man. So I'm five foot three. 510 on a good day, you know? And so um, it was one of those things where growing up, I also stood out in that way. You know, this brown kid named Saeed in a very white area in the South, who's really short and potentially really easy target in some way. So humor, I think, became a part of me um, at that front. So I love people vibing with the humor. I also love people f knowing or seeing this reflective nature of me. You know, I, I'm very contemplative. I think really deeply about things and I, I process a lot. It's and it's almost all up here sometimes. And I think that's what I struggle with is getting it down, externalizing it a little bit so I can see it in front of me instead of being consumed by it. But I love that about myself. And I like people noticing that I like that people can maybe notice that I'm really being intentional about my time with them, that I'm reflecting about our, our time together, reflecting on them as people when I talk to them. And that's friends, that's family, that's strangers. You know, I really do care. Like, well, I'm one of those people when I ask, like, how are you doing? I don't mind how you answer that question. <laughs> like, you know, tell me what's going on. I, I, I value that and I care about that. And the last one is curiosity, you know, that curiousness. I feel like that's just a, a characteristic I really value a lot about myself. And I like other people to see that I like asking questions. Um, I like knowing things, information. I don't necessarily like to quickly judge. I want to understand why people make decisions that they make, how they think about things. How are they unique in, in how they think about things? And so these are all three ways that I feel like I, I like to connect to people as humans. And I really love people seeing that about me. I resonate with the, so many of those things. Uh, the one that stood out to me is when you said, um, like, people know that I'm intentional about how I spend time with them, that I'm curious, that when I ask how you're doing, I really want people to answer. And I think that's a question we ask in our work a lot around, how are you doing? What is your go-to answer? And most people have a go-to answer, right? And I imagine it shocks people when you I actually are waiting for more than a one word answer when you ask how you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had some curious looks before where folks where sometimes I might call some folks out if I have the time, right? Like where I ask, I'm sort of like, how are you doing? And some people say, oh, I'm good. You know, things are fine. And I'll say, oh, you know, that's really convincing. Yeah. I hear it. You know, just like maybe I just point it out, lighten the mood a little bit, especially around work, you know. Um, but I think that's what I'm, I, I feel a lot is where we, I think people are conditioned to just engage in these pleasantries, but I think people, I found that people feel really good and feel really seen when folks actually care about that question. And sometimes I change it up. I don't always ask how you're doing. I might ask a friend and I um, start to ask each other, how is our heart today? You know, where's your heart at today? How's your heart today? And just the things just to kind of change up that kind of question. But I feel like people really do. I mean, some people might be a little like, whoa, that's interesting. You actually want to hear more about it, but like people want to be seen and they want to allow themselves to be seen too and, and feel safe and comfortable with that. So um, I love those interactions, especially when I can kind of, I don't know, poke around a little bit and just ask, just show that curiosity if people are willing to go there and talk about some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that makes you a great professor, right? Because I think definitely on the college level and the student level, even as a mentor, right? Like to know that this person is not only caring enough, but they are actually listening and they want, they're willing to know more, right? I think most people, the pleasantries are, I think are oftentimes trying to create that interaction to be frictionless, right? It's like, oh, we, okay, they're busy, I'm busy, we're moving. Okay, how you doing? Fine, good. Okay, good. And we keep moving. There's no friction in that. But if somebody like changes up the formula, then the question begins to like, whoa, you're actually, you're actually asking me, you're telling me, you're telling me real stuff right now. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't have time for real stuff. I had time for two word answer, maybe three, and then you keep it moving, right? And I think, how do we, and we may have, you know, got, we've got trained in that. We got trained that what are the answers that keep people disarmed and what are the answers that kind of arm people up, right? And I think that's part of the work too, so, all right. I was missing one word on the back and I think, I think I have the word now. So let me, um, let me go to the back. Are you ready for the back? Ready to go. 
So I put fear mm-hmm. of losing mom. I put worry. And I think the third one that I don't talk much about is like that I really try and I want, like I really want to make an impact in this in this world with people in their well being. Yeah. Like I I really have a a deep desire to like leave the world better than I found it, and and I don't have kids, and so sometimes I feel like I'm not leaving enough of a legacy. Right. And I think that feeling is um it's one of those feelings that it gets me every time. Like if I think if I think about like how hard I've been working, started helping raise my siblings at a young age. I mean, I was I was changing diapers at seven, eight years old, right? I'm like uh, yeah. formula, baby, like early. Yeah. I'm done with I'm I'm done with the baby smell. I don't need I don't need to smell it. I don't need any right. Those those things are like yeah. deeply so it's like but in my mind, like I want when I look at my family tree, you know, we have a family tree after my name, it's going to stop. And I feel some deep, I'll say sadness. That's probably the best word. Sometimes I think I'm trying to always make a good impression. And sometimes the good impression is I'm, I'm, I, I keep it all together all the time. But sometimes it's just like in a moment of just like, when do I navigate these feelings? When do I deal with this? When do I? address this and and there's no way to address it i mean i'm not gonna just go out and make a baby somewhere right like Mm -hmm. that's not the answer right but i feel that the conflict in my soul like what does it mean to like to be after after a shanti branch on this family tree there's no more branches and so i didn't i didn't think i was gonna talk about that today but yeah Yeah. that's where it came up do you mind me asking a question about that um, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm I'm kind of curious. I haven't heard many people like maybe answer. So I, I do this mask. I've been doing masks of, for a lot of my students for years myself, you know, probably about 2017, doing a mask exercise with my students and um, with men I work with. And you know, I haven't heard that as many, you know, what you just shared there. And I'm sure that that's real for a lot of us. And so I'm kind of curious maybe what was allowing for you to connect to that today you know, as opposed to maybe some other times, like, is there something about today? I'm just kind of curious how that comes up for you. Cause I don't always connect with it the way I know it's there. Yeah. I mean, I think that I left it blank when I was making the mask and I knew I, in my mind, I thought I was going to spend more time talking about the fear of losing my mom because, um, there was this, um, a guy who I interviewed a couple of weeks ago, he has an organization in Mexico called, um, tu vida is increíble. Like, your life is incredible. And uh, he had a thing called fear. Um, in Spanish, it's, it's uh, miedos de miércoles. So Wednesday fears. Um, mm. And so he asked me to participate yesterday. And I was like, it was like, you know, m- about midnight. And I was like, still hadn't done the recording of like what I'm afraid of. Yeah. And, and then I made the recording and I was like, I'm afraid of losing my mom. And I think that's what I thought I was going to talk about right now. And I think in my mind, I left the third one blank. because I was like, well, maybe something's going to come up in the conversation. And as we started talking, we started talking about like, this qualities of yourself that you make available to people, like making time for them. Like I do that for all the young men who I mentor, right? Definitely. I make, they know that some of them will hesitate to like reply to my messages because they know that I'm going to ask them real questions, right? They know that I'm not going to like, it's not, it's not, I'm not, I'm not going to waste their time, but I'm also not going to just be like, oh, everything's great. Okay. Good to, <laughs> good, to, good, to good to text with you real quick, right? I'm, I'm going to just say, you know, how are you feeling? How's your heart, right? Yeah. And so when I thought about what I was going to put it for that third one, I was like, I have the, I've had the opportunity to mentor a lot of young people and young men in my life. And I feel like I was, so for some of, for some who don't have fathers, who have fathers who are just, you know, and I get to just be a present, I get to be a mentor, a friend, right? But I, sometimes I miss that, you know, that's, I guess if I have the right language for it, I, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a friendship relationship, right? It, after, after it all boils down to it, it's, it's over, right? It's not a, and so I think like, not having a child, I think it was like, what am I? Do I feel do I feel this emptiness? Is it feeling like an emptiness that I need to fix, or is it something I need to just resolve in my mind that I've chosen to give my life to this mission? Right, right. To this mission is where I've chosen to leave. My legacy is not going to look like a person who then has another person and another person. That's not going to be. So that's when I was like deciding if I was going to talk about. It. I didn't know that it was going to charge me up. And yeah. then as I started as I started saying it. that the emotions started coming rising up so i realized that it was actually what i was probably avoiding yeah and i probably am avoiding it in most of my conversations i don't talk about it a whole lot ever yeah that's that was me trying to like in the moment what is the thing i don't really talk much about and this what 
is what came up first as the thing I probably don't want to talk about because I know it's going to make me feel sorry emoting. So maybe start maybe start crying. And I was asking myself, am I crying too much on this freaking show? Like, what's wrong with you, Shanti? You're the host. Like, what's wrong? But I also realized I'm not I'm I'm not here to be a host. I'm here to have a conversation with someone. And what if we could have more real conversations with people? So I think that's what that's what brought it to the surface right now. No, I I appreciate you breaking it down. And um, yeah, it was just, it just struck me as such a beautifully authentic moment. Um, and I just really appreciated <laughs> you just having it yeah, in this moment. And I think I've, I've struggled a lot um, from like a therapeutic standpoint of being like a therapist or a clinician, you know, how much am I crying or being sort of uh, just wondering like, oh, am I making this about me? Or is this too much crying? Or is this too much emotion? And and I remember for a long time, I didn't cry with my clients, even when I felt like it, you know, I didn't cry with other people, even when I felt like I was there. And I, it was kind of like, I needed permission from some supervisors who finally told me like, well, Saeed, why don't you just cry? Like, you're not crying too much, like, name it, you know, you can share that with, uh, with, with somebody you're supporting. And, uh, you know, a client, and, and that's an authentic moment, a human moment, but just talk about it, name it. And, and you don't always have to run from it. But it was a lot of like my own masculinity stuff, a lot of, you know, my own models for this, which I lacked uh, models around emoting and, and, and the range of emotions. And so, yeah, I could tell that it was something for you. And I just like love that you uh, were in it. I, I just appreciate seeing, you know, folks in it. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. Let me, yeah. I appreciate it. I, yeah. I, that's what I said when I was saying it, I was like, I didn't plan to talk about this. What's going on right here, right? Like it was, <laughs> it wasn't on my, it wasn't on the, my agenda. That wasn't on my agenda. Right, right. <laughs> but, but, but the beauty, and I appreciate it for asking, and it makes me reflect on what was it, like why, and it's hard to talk about, right? It's hard to talk about. It's hard to talk about in a society that continues to remind you or tell you that, oh, well, what? You're not married. What's what's wrong with you, right? Was what you don't got kids? What what's wrong with you? You're like forty something. What is going on? You know, and I think one of my friends from college, his daughter just graduated high school. So like even yeah. that recently, <laughs> and I, you know, I celebrated that post. I was like, oh, so happy for my little niece, you know, my little mm-hmm. niece. And then I was like, man, Shanti, if you just started back then, you could have already had a, a, a college <laughs> graduate, right? I know, right? No, she graduated college. She graduated college. I'm like, you waited too late, so you know? And then, yeah. So those are those back behind the scenes conversations that are only with myself. Yeah. And so, yeah. 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 yeah I have a lot of, you know, cause in a lot of ways you're naming, even, you know, you touched on some of that fear with, with your mom too. And it just like some of these existential things that come up for us and like meaning of life and all this other things. And, um, you know, what I really appreciate about what you're, you're naming is some of that worry i'm you know so i'm 35 i have no children and i have many friends you know who are now having kids i have some friends who do have high school graduate you know um kids now and i have no kids um as of yet and and that's you know been fine but i i can't help but compare you know because when you start to look around and you're you know i'm doing a lot of great work i know i'm feeling really connected i'm doing some mentorship and i know i'm helping being helpful to folks and i'm helping myself as well through the process but i can't help with sometimes that back that that voice that's like, well, you're not doing it the way that it's supposed to be done, right? This is the model for how it's supposed to be. This is what your parents did, their parents did. This is what your friends are doing around you. And when you see that happening, I know for me, I can feel, oh, am I on the right path? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? But also that feels also very rigid because I think it's hard for me to remind myself sometimes that it's okay to be flexible and arrive to whatever conclusions you need to in your own way on your own timeline you know you're not on yeah that whole thing about the comparisons being the thief of of joy or happiness or whatever yeah absolutely oh you just said that that's the word that's probably the word that deep down is where the roots in right it roots in and this is the graduation season right so it's a graduation season so i'm seeing a lot of those things happen oh i didn't even name that that's actually thank you Actually, I was wondering why I was so fresh, right? Because I'm always celebrating them, you know? I mean, these are kids who I, I met when they were babies, some of them, right? Or I've watched them grow up on my friend's social media, right? And then you realize behind the scenes, behind my celebration of their graduation or their next accomplishment is that, oh, wait a minute. Um, and that's where it is. That's where it is. And it is, it is a, a underlying comparison that 
I'll probably I didn't even have that as the word, but yeah, that's probably deep down where some of the the call to attention of it is at. For sure. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Thank you. Cool. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. Thank you for that moment and, and those moments. Yeah. I, I I value that. I don't know. Are we ready, ready? for mine? I guess. Should we? Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. So here are my uh my three here um that I have here. So if folks can see here, but I have the word um lonely right there. I also have the word numbing right there. And I also have um, more of a phrase, but not enough uh, right there. I went with those three. Yeah. What do, what do I don't let people see? I mean, I think that's always an interesting question because it's also like, these are the three things I don't allow myself to feel or see. Um, it's the stuff I run from, you know, you're talking about running from some stuff. I, I run from these feelings, you know, I, I can come across as very self-assured, I think confident, and I am those things at times. And I think that's, what's hard for me is like, just because I'm not confident sometimes, or I feel lonely sometimes doesn't mean that I'm not a confident person. And I think I, I'm in this black and white thinking all or nothing feeling a lot, which is so rigid and keeps me feeling anxious, you know, but, but I do feel lonely. Um, I think there's, it's been hard. I haven't always felt like I fit in. Um, with some of my, the uniqueness, not just how I look, but how where I come from and and um, the sto- my, the family stories. You know, when I tell people I'm from Guyana, I had a lot of people just saying, oh, like thought I was making fun of being like a guy from like a random country. Like, oh, because you're a guy, you're from Guyana. You know, people, you know, and it's hard when people don't see that, don't know you um, and, and maybe don't um, know how to ask or get to know you without being offensive to you or microaggressing against you or other things, you know, people trying to connect to me by saying namaste right away. It's like, no, we don't need to do that. You know, we can, we can go a different direction with that. But sometimes I could feel very lonely um, and isolated. I think um, I was also raised as sort of an only child. I mean, I have two older sisters, but they were teenagers when I came around, when my parents adopted me. And so I was sort of on my own a lot too, sort of working things out. And um, so I could feel that loneliness. What I don't love people seeing either is just the amount that I numb. You know, um, I think as someone, even as a psychologist and as somebody who does this work, you know, does healthy masculinity work and helps people process emotions and all these things. I take for granted, you know, you've reminded me of this like workaholic thing where I've been told so many times by friends like, oh, you're really busy. And I'm like always like off to another workshop. I'm off doing, I'm doing a trauma appointment. I'm helping somebody else, emergency appointments here and there, or I'm like, um, you know, consulting work, like, oh, I'm really dedicating my time to this client I have, all of this stuff. But like what's underneath sometimes that is like me masking against like maybe my own vicarious trauma. Like I do trauma work and I'm not always aware of how that's impacting my brain and how I need to heal. And meanwhile, sometimes I've been in the past up until like 3 a.m. ruminating, anxious, you know, and wondering, which goes to my third one, not enough. Am I enough? Um, And noticing that I'm numbing and and wanting to like remove myself from this reality this pain sometimes this loneliness this isolation i feel that um and then i feel like i'm not enough because like oh you should know better saeed you know you do this why aren't you why aren't you better at this um and whose voice is that this perfectionism and just uncaring you know sometimes for myself um and i don't love people seeing that and i don't love seeing it um and so sometimes i avoid and i think what was really interesting, and I'll, I'll just make this point quickly about, like, say, the pandemic, for example, is that, you know, through all that tragedy and everything that that happened, what that was, and especially during the time also with Black Lives Matter, and there was a lot of anti-Asian hate, there was just like the tumultuousness of that 2020 sort of realm. Um, but I also saw people just slowing down. You know, I saw people were breaking bread. I saw people, you know, um, you know, joining book clubs. I saw people finding art and trying to find meaning in a slowed down world. And I thought there was beauty in that because I feel like for me, at least, I think I'm in a constant state of urgency a lot. You know, I do intense work and um, I don't always find the time. And then here I am numbing and feeling like not enough what's going on with that. And I feel like there's a tremendous value in slowing down um, and not having to like, 
yeah, it, our brains don't work in a state, a constant state of urgency and hypervigilance. You know, we need to heal. And so I'm not always doing the best job of that, but it, that's something that I really do value and continue to try my best to, to address those sorts of things. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Maz, brother. I, I appreciate it. And I, I, and when I think about the words you said about the trauma work and how we, all the things happened in 2020 and then people slowing down and people breaking bread. But I, I think one of the things that, that came up to me as, a, as you were saying that was, and sometimes that slowing down almost for me feel like, Arshanti, what's happening here? Like, um, during the pandemic is when I learned about, um, I think her name is Trisha Hersey. Um, mm-hmm. She has a Instagram called the Nap Ministry. Yes, I, I follow Nap Ministry. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I remember when I first saw one of the posts, someone sent me whatever the words were. And I don't remember what the words said, but whatever it was, it was right for me. And it was like, oh, that's a new way to think about it. Right. Like, it's a constant reminder that we've been taught that to slow down, that to rest is a laziness and if we're trying to protect ourselves from the the judgment of others and we're trying to protect ourselves from the a narrative of white supremacy in the world that says if you want to get ahead you must work hard and even though you've worked 15 hours already today still not enough it's not like there's like propaganda machines playing out in the street telling you this it's, it just gets ingrained in you by these subtle and powerful and influential ways and we're not careful we adopt it. We adopt it. And I think that I have adopted some of those things. I've adopted a very much a, a self-hate kind of narrative that I can't be, I can't be, I can't be, I can't be like this. And so therefore, it means I got to work more and more, which means I'm not resting, which means I'm not at the full best of myself at all times because I'm, I'm running on fumes, right? And I think that those are the things that constantly come up. And so, so when you, when you said that, and I, I really appreciated that. And um, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I resonate with that. I think a lot of these messages about productivity and, you know, we get into things like white supremacy and capitalism and, but, but just systems. I think all we're talking about are systems that maybe sometimes contribute to us not feeling like we're enough. You know, I feel like it's such a, a miracle being a human being, like just trying to navigate this world <laughs> and um, like, I don't know. And, and, and we take that for granted, I think, so much just surviving all of this in a society that isn't always designed to help us cope and heal. You know, we have to find those locations. Like I get resentful when I hear, like, for example, I, I once was asked to come in and do education with a bunch of uh, master's level um, uh, students who are teachers in training. And they wanted me to come in and talk to them about um, being burnt out, burnout culture. Like, how do you, you know, address being burnt out? And when I went in there and I kind of heard about their conditions and what it was like for them teaching and training right now during the pandemic, I said, you know, you're putting so much blame on yourself for your burnout and what you need to do to not be burned out when it sounds like you're being exploited, right? Like, it sounds like sometimes we're sitting here being exploited, like our emotions, our time, our energy, sometimes we're being exploited and maybe it's not, and maybe sometimes it is environmental. It's not always on us. And I think sometimes we live in a society that always says, well, what are you doing wrong? And it's not to say that you can't take personal accountability or responsibility. Absolutely. But I think there's systems that also need to kind of take some of that accountability for how it contributes to this feeling, you know? And so I, I encourage folks to, to maybe rest and, but I also know I can judge that. You know, I, I judge myself sometimes. I can judge others for not doing enough sometimes. And I have to recommit myself to like humanity sometimes. Be like, whoa, this is this isn't human to feel this sometimes. Like we need to we need to rest. We need to connect differently. Um, and not always be chasing some unattainable goal that feels really rigid. And the last thing I'll say about it, actually, you know, with my job, a lot of my work in the past. I'm doing masculinity work and I'm often maybe the only male or masculine aligned sort of person at a position, a specific job, a specific job, you know, right now trauma work at Northwestern. I'm the only, you know, man that's doing this work at this particular department. Um, I used to work in reproductive justice and rights, like where I was the, uh, a face, you know, sort of doing work around that in education and outreach as the only man or male. And I think what I struggle a lot with, especially this year um, is when I need a rest, when I need to slow down, when I need to address my own mental health, my own trauma, so much guilt comes up because 
then I'm taking the break. But like, here are maybe these women I work with, these femme identifying folks I work with, these women of color I work with who are doing this labor and who have been doing this and live it in a way that I don't. And then, oh, who am I to slow down? Who am I to to tag out? But that's also like sort of almost this white supremacist sort of mentality for me where I was like, no, 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 actually, all of us should be able to take our time and our space to rest. And why, you know, when they're resting, I'm tagged in, you know, but then sometimes I'm going to need rest too. And maybe I'm tagging in Ashanti because he's been resting, you know, and now he's back in. But we don't always have to be constantly tagged in and hypervigilant. We need to have a different system for this. And so um, I think I've been challenging myself a lot about my own rigidity and my own guilt and my own shame that sometimes is centered around my masculinity and other parts of my identity. Ooh. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, you know, I do this work around mask, but also, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an old school wrestling fan, you know, same. and I same. Talk, and, to oh, talk to me. <laughs> and, and when you talked about tagging me in, yep. like, like, I, I, you know, you remember some of those matches and old school matches where when the partners weren't really that tight and when you like tag me in and you're like, I'm not tagging you. And so I tag myself in like I slap you on the back and I'm like, get out. I'm coming in. And I wonder if how many people would benefit if they had people in their life like that, who's like, you know what, actually, I'm tagging you out because I'm going to come in and help in this moment. Like, I know you're willing to do it by yourself. I know that you are telling yourself you have to do it by yourself. I know that you are like in the mindset that you have to do it all by yourself, but you don't. And so actually, I'm, I'm tagging you out, right? And there may be a battle in that conversation. There may be a battle in a conversation where you're going to be upset with me that I'm going to tell you something that I believe is true and real. And you may not agree and we don't have to agree, but I'm, but I'm going to, I'm going to show you how much I care that I'm not going to let you suffer at this by yourself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I have tremendous love for, I had a, a mentor in Kansas city named Dr. Lynette Sparkman Barnes, who used to talk about rest and, and, and sort of like that as part of the resistance too. like, we got to chill a little bit right and you hear that from different spaces in our intersectional you know feminist works and stuff just these things about resistance and rest and what goes into that and what comes out of rest what can be born out of rest and i think like sometimes i feel like i have so many ideas about like how i want to do this masculinity work in more innovative ways or just human ways connected ways but i'm so you know sometimes feeling exploited or burnt out by like having to fight so many other battles when um and put out so many fires and be so reactive as opposed to being really proactive and create, you know, and I think sometimes it is because we're all just tagged in. It's like a battle Royal. We're all in the ring at the same time. Right. <laughs> you know, and uh, when there's not enough space for all of us, you know, we gotta like, maybe we, some of us could be outside, you know, and, and wait our turn, get in there. Like it's, it's stagger it, but how powerful it is to notice that in a colleague or in a friend or someone just say like, Hey, I got you right now. Maybe you can rest a little bit and give people that permission and model that permission because I didn't always see mod good models of permission to slow down for my family, my parents. It was always grinding, but do we always have to do it this way? You know, maybe we can divest from that and do it a little differently. Let's do it. That's what that's what I want these conversations to be is a way for men and, and for everyone. I mean, I think like to see how we can do it differently. What would it be like to know that? We had a conversation with a friend or with somebody that we could maybe go a little bit more than just how's the weather and what's your favorite team and what's the weather, you know, like what, 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 where you, what do you do for work? Like all the, the answers and questions we ask each other in this structure that says, I can't talk about real stuff in this conversation, right? For, for protection, for safety, for worry, for doubt, for fear that this will be judged, right? And I think, you know, I, I think maybe one question I want to ask you just as we get ready to wrap this up is, you know, in the work you do with masculinity and also with, in psychology, I, I wonder, I guess the question is coming from a place of like, you know, I have a lot of schools who oftentimes when we talk about what the work we're going to do with their students, like I find the adults are more afraid than the kids. The adults are like, well, what are you going to do after students make these masks? And I'm like, this is, this is the way they ask the question. So what are you going to do after you've opened them up and, and made them tell you all this stuff? And I'm like, well, it's anonymous. Uh, I haven't, I'm not making them tell me anything. Um, I'm not asking them to harm themselves by writing three words on this card. I'm, I'm giving them room. And if you believe that, that somehow I have some magic that I'm going to like unveil something that it's not even from the intent place, but if in one hour I'm able to do that and you've been with them for eight months and no one has done that for them, 
then what does that mean? You know, I, I try to do it from a gentle place of a, of a, of a co collegial space, but also like they get so afraid that they think that because kids, if they talk about it, then they first have to fix it, one, and two, that if they don't let them talk about it, then it doesn't really exist. You know, as, as a person who's working in this masculinity space, but also working in this wellness space of people in their own well-being, what are your experience with people either resisting to, to have people talk about stuff or, or saying that if they don't talk about it, then it's going to just go away. We, it, we don't have to worry about yeah. it. Yeah. You know, I think the best example of that is when I do, um, you know, an activity called the man box activity, which you probably, you know, know very well. Right. Um, and it's like a pretty seminal activity in this uh, space of masculinity work, but essentially asking people like what it means to be a real man and, and listing some of those stereotypes and, and I use that as a way to help people unrestrict masculinity. You know, I use that term unrestricting masculinity or restrictive masculinity. That's how I describe it as opposed to toxic masculinity. So I think so on one hand, though, part of it is my language choice, because I think that tends to be a little disarming for folks because people, I think a lot of the parents, I'll say use that, for example, that I work with and some of these older adults I work with are concerned that maybe I am just like teaching boys, I'll just use that example um, in this binary way, like boys to, you know, um, to kind of hate themselves or mistrust themselves as men or as boys, you know, masculinity is toxic and it's an issue and a problem. We don't want you teaching them that. Well, that's not what I'm teaching folks. What I'm teaching folks is that masculinity isn't inherently toxic, but it can be the way we use it very restrictive. And um, when you're restrictive with not a lot of options to unrestrict, you, that's where the anxiety, the depression, all that thing comes in. So let's provide options for masculinity. Let's provide models, permission to be different and show up differently in your masculinity. Um, so we're not, you know, trying to, to, to try to shame you in it and, and try to get you to be what we want you to be, right? Or society wants you to be. So, so part of it is a way I show up in the conversation is a way that's a, more disarming for folks. Like this isn't nefarious. I, I'm a man, you know, and I identify as parts of me that are very masculine and that's okay, but how do I use that? And, and, and do I have range with that, right? Can I choose to like have range with that? Because that's what's going to be really helpful because we're human beings. We're not just men and mass folks. We're human beings, right? With, and we need that range to be helpful to us. So that's one hand. The other hand is, is talking to a lot of parents. I, I get so much pushback from a lot of adults, guardians, parents about helping their children understand like to be more vulnerable, especially with my young boys of color. Because they're like, say, they're already so susceptible in society to some X, Y, Z, right? Um, um, targets on their backs. And, and, and it's just so, it can be so dangerous for them. If you're teaching them to be vulnerable and already vulnerable, they're already vulnerable in society. That's so, that can be so harmful. And what I tell them is like that message, I can hear that message, but I also help sometimes them explore like, where's that coming from? That's your own fear, right? That's your own anxiety that could be real. And I get that. But these kids are going to need a space for that, to process that, to be more human and not to always have to mask up because if they don't have that, where are they going to do it? And if they can't do it with their own parents, their own mothers, their own fathers, who, where are they getting it from? If you don't want me to be doing it with them either, because I, they absolutely need that outlet to process, to learn that emotional intelligence, you know, and just pretending like it's not there doesn't address that they're really still experiencing this anxiety potentially. Right. And still receiving these messages. Um, I had a, a friend who has a nephew or I, like I call him my nephew, but, you know, he stopped, he used to love to paint his nails when he was a, a kid, like a little kid. And as he started to get older, he was probably five, six, he stops. And his parents asked him, well, why? And he said, well, the, you know, I don't feel comfortable anymore, you know, at school you know, with how the boys talk to me and stuff and how some of the girls talk to me. And some of the adults, you know, teachers talk to me and it's so little. We talk about this hidden curriculum all the time. And what are we learning in school? We project so many rigid values onto our kids. And so I try to really talk to parents about that, about their own fears. Where is that coming from? And show them, hey, this outlet is a safer outlet to do it this way, because you don't want to see what the alternatives can potentially be, because the alternatives can be very destructive. So let's curtail this. Let's let's funnel this in a more positive direction and a healthier direction through modeling and permission and love. Yeah. I can't wait to go to a retreat with you. Maybe we can, maybe we can, maybe we can create a retreat. I think like I've been envisioning what it would look like in this work to like what you're talking about those boys. And I've, and I've seen it happen to boys in second grade who, who have best friends who eat lunch together and they're and, and other boys, bigger boys are coming and telling them, 
oh, you're gay. Mm-hmm. And these second grade boys don't even know what that word means. And they're like, what does that mean? But they can feel the energy from the words. Yeah. They don't even know what the words mean, but they know that, hmm, that's something, that seems something like is wrong here. What are they associating I'm, I'm doing is having, now? Yep. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I think the work that the parents are like, well, I don't want my boy to be picked on. I don't want him to be bullied, but I also want him to be his kind, loving self. And so how much do we have to chase out all other parts of their humanity, of their, of their being, to be who people need us to be, which means being very restrictive in who I can be. I, I can't be too nice. I can't be too kind. I can't be too caring. And, and, and then we become monsters. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not, you know, this is, this is about being humans. Not. And, and these uh, parents, sometimes it is that they didn't get the permission and maybe they were punished when they were vulnerable. And now they realize like, Hey, now I got to raise my kids that way too. But Hey, we're different adults. This is a different situation and you don't have to be that child anymore. You know, you can you can be for that child what you needed when you were their age. Right. And we could do that now and we could do that differently. That's how healing happens and generationally how healing happens. Right. Culture change and shift. Absolutely. Man, Saeed. OK, look, this is this is part one because I because we're not done, but we, <laughs> but we got to be done right now yes. because I got to respect your time. Absolutely. But listen, um, how about you just tell folks, you know, if there's places where you want people to follow your work or what you do, if there's a. You know, things you're up to coming up next. Will you let folks know? And we'll put this all in the show notes. And then we're going to, this is just the beginning. Absolutely. And, yeah. and I, I'm super excited. I really want to go more, but I'm, I want to, we're going to plan some time to get back into a conversation. I love that. This. I love this energy. We can keep going to, you know, I know, no, we have time, but like, <laughs> I love that the energy is here. So yeah, I mean, you know, there's a couple different examples for folks, you know, to, to find me. I mean, you could just Google me, you know, hear some of my talks, lectures, things like that, that I've been on. Um, and that's just, my name's Saeed. So S is in Sam, A is in Apple, E is an elephant, D is a dinosaur, last name Hill, H-I-L-L. I haven't met any other Saeed Hill. So if you Google that name, that's probably me um, that you'll find. Um, but I'm also on Instagram at um, Papercut Rhymes PhD. So just how it sounds, Papercut Rhymes PhD. We could talk about that another time. I used to like ghostwrite for hip hop artists to help put myself through college. So it was a little stage name. Um, um, but yeah, you can find me there and LinkedIn too. Just my name, find me on LinkedIn. So um, if you also want to visit, um, it, you know, a site, I think you could go to, um, you know, it's part of this consulting group that I'm part of called D- Dynamic Cooperative. So you could go to dynamiccooperative.com. And it's a group of us, a colleagues of mine that do a lot of amazing just workshops um, for different organizations around just identity, workplace culture, DEI work, those sorts of things. I do a lot of that healthy masculinity work. And there's a lot of like um, deconstructing whiteness work that goes along there too. So um, so yeah, dynamiccooperative.com, really great work going on over there as well. Dr. Saeed Hill, it has been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. I'm, I'm excited for the next one. I'm excited for this one and for the next one. Um, and uh, folks, thank you. Dr. Hill and I, Saeed, we made our mask publicly. Yes. But you can do yours anonymously at millionmask.org. And we'll put all his common text boy, in, the, in the show notes. We look forward to you all being a part of this movement with us. Tell somebody about this conversation. We'll see you soon. Bye now. Taking Off the Mask podcast is produced by Ryan Louie and graphics by Kelly Wong. Guests are managed by Dan Paloma. And the podcast is edited by Samuel Matingo. We'd like to thank everyone who's been a part of the creation of this podcast. And for every guest that's been a part of the show, you are now a part of the Taking Off the Mask family. The Taking Off the Mask podcast is brought to you by the Ever Forward Club. And if you like what you've heard today, please subscribe, write a five-star review, and share this with someone. We look forward to having more conversations that matter. And please remember, there's more to you than anybody can see by just looking at you.